On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss Boeing's MCAST software update, the continued grounding of the 737 MAX fleet, and passengers on one flight are surprised to find themselves in the wrong country upon landing. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. How are you, sir? Good. How are you and your ailing computer today? <laughs> oh, my computer is ailing. I was ailing. I am less ailed. And I were, I think everyone's on the rebound. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm I, good. I know I'm you're, de- you're packing. Yes, I'm packing. Moment. I'm off to uh, Hamburg via Iceland tomorrow for the Aircraft Interior Expo next week. So I'm excited about that and already checked in and I should probably pack at some point tonight. Well, I mean, the flight's tomorrow, so you've got plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to go to work or anything. So, you know. No. You you have the hours between, you know, 7 and 7.30 a.m. to, to pack Wait everything Wait a minute. So, you are off to, to Hamburg next week for, I always get this wrong, so, so Come on. give me the full, you give me the full conference title. The Aircraft Interior Expo, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we we did I think episode three from the 2016, 17, 2017 17. AIX and and you're headed back this week and and there will be what's on the horizon and anything that we should look out for in the next episode. Don't know. Well, we'll have to wait and see. All right, all right. A a teaser if there ever was. Yes, one. very exciting. But I'm flying uh, Iceland Air on the way there and back. Not exactly all the aircraft we had planned as one of the segments was on a, a 7.3 MAX 8, which is no longer an Iceland Air or anyone's schedule. So it's been interesting, at least. So let's use that as a jumping off point to review what's happened in the past two weeks because it has been... Two weeks. What did I say? It has been a long two Oh, weeks. yes. It has been a long two weeks. The past two weeks have felt like maybe maybe a month, maybe two months. I don't know. But let's start with today, I guess, and work our way backwards. We are recording the 27th of March. The 737 MAX fleet has been grounded for two weeks now. And today, Boeing provided an update to the media, its partners, the FAA, and obviously flight crews about the changes that it is going to make to the MCAS system, the the system that has been most talked about. I think this is the the most discussed aircraft system that I can ever remember. You know, in popular popular press. Yeah, and it's something that no one really should have ever known about. Right, right. So the overview that Boeing gave today was. High level, but also got into the details a little bit. So I'm just going to read a little bit from what Boeing put out today saying what the changes have been. So they designed a software update for the MCAS system, which enhances the pitch stability of the airplane so that the 737 MAX feels like uh, 737 next generation aircraft. So there's le- uh, greater commonality and, and less difference between the two. We've talked about this 
at least in three episodes before, but it, it's for uh, manual flight when the airplane's flaps are up and the aircraft is at an elevated angle of attack and in danger uh, of a stall. So the MCAS system is designed to kick in at that point, and here are the changes. The flight control system will now compare inputs from both angle of attack sensors, and this has been something that investigators have looked at, pilots have questioned, there's been a lot of discussion about how this particular system only drew inputs from one of the angle of attack sensors. When the aircraft has more than one on board. Right, right. And so the update to the system will now take data from both sensors. And remember, this was one of the, the major contributing factors to the Lion Air crash, at least according to the preliminary report, because the angle of attack sensors disagreed. And since they were only taking data from one, they were taking erroneous data and the aircraft thought it was at an angle of attack that it actually wasn't. So now, if the two sensors disagree by 5.5 degrees or more with the flaps retracted, the MCAS will not activate, and an indicator on the flight deck will display this alert to the pilots. And we'll get to that, that particular alert in just a second. If MCAS is activated in non-normal conditions, it will provide one input for each elevated AOA event. So one of the things that, that has been looked at here is that the MCAS activates over and over and over again, continually pushing the nose of the aircraft down. And this makes it um, kind of a, a struggle against the aircraft for the pilots. And that can cause, has caused uh, issues with counteracting the, the MCAS activation. Number three, MCAS can never command more stabilizer input than can be counteracted by the flight crew pulling back on the column, the control column. The pilots will continue to always have the ability to override MCAS and manually control the airplane. So this is kind of along with the, the second thing to reduce the, the severity of the inputs that MCAS is providing to the aircraft. And then from there, they've also added some training and things like that. And they've also, and this will be training on computer simulations and things like that, as well as reviewing all of their uh, associated materials that go along with that. They've also updated the flight deck displays. And we talked about this in the last episode with John Ostrauer, how there were multiple indicators for uh, pilots to see that were not standard uh, across the, the max uh, flight displays, but were optional. And those particular displays will now be given to the, the flight for the flight displays. And it, it's not an optional piece of equipment anymore, not piece of equipment, but display anymore. Right, or at least some form of it, uh, since there are multiple versions of it. Some, one of them, I believe, was available in the HUD, the heads-up display. They're not making that retrofit to every customer, but basically a light that says the angle of attack instrumentation disagrees with each other. Correct. So those are the changes, and Boeing says that they put it through hundreds of hours of analysis laboratory testing, verification in a simulator, and two test flights, including one in-flight certification test with the FAA. So that's being released shortly, given the FAA uh, certification whenever that, I, I guess, comes and, and hopefully comes soon. 
Today was also a very busy day on Capitol Hill with congressional hearings into a wide variety of things that um, relate to the 737 MAX, including some of the certification questions that have arisen kind of in the wake of the Ethiopian crash. But but reading some of the reporting, especially Dominic Gates's reporting in, in the Seattle Times, it's, this was a concern prior to the crash of Ethiopian 302. Yeah, there were definitely known issues that they had raised with Boeing directly before Ethiopian crashed and they really didn't get any answers out of Boeing. And then lo and behold, the issue that they were inquiring about caused another crash, unfortunately. Yeah, I just want to step back for a moment and say I think it's important to note that we don't know what role MCAS played, if any, for sure in the crash of Ethiopian 302. But based on the statements from the French BEA and kind of the actions surrounding the investigation, there are similarities certainly to to the flight paths of both aircraft, the Lion Air 610 and Ethiopian 302. But today in the congressional testimony, uh, Robert Sumwalt, the chair of the NTSB, said that he expects a preliminary report to be available soon. That same sentiment was attributed to Ethiopian Airlines the other day, and they pushed back extremely hard. And Jason, I know that you commented on this, how you were impressed by their strong, the str- strong yeah. words. Yeah. So Ethiopia is, is many hours ahead of New York, and I wake up most mornings over the last week and get a press release in my inbox from Ethiopian who would be in some form or another um, pushing back against some sort of article that was published either in um, on TV news or in print in major publications. And they really stressed against publishing an, I quote, uninformed, incorrect, irresponsible, and misleading statements that really kind of contradicted a lot what a lot of what Ethiopian and investigators were saying. And I just found them very restrained, issuing the same release several times in slightly different tones and not really having to dip down to any any language that we might not like as, as um, a particular president of, of this particular country has to say over and over. But they were very professional about it. And I've been very impressed with the way Ethiopian hand, has handled this incident aside from their CEO handling uh, debris at the crash site on day one. But beyond that, they've been extremely impressive in handling the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that their their team has done a very good job of kind of tamping down any you know speculation or, or attribution to, to them, especially their CEO and, and saying things. And they're saying, no, you, you didn't actually say that. And, and we wouldn't have said that. And and would never say that. And I, I thought that was very both forceful, but there's some restraint there, which I, I think is very good. Yeah. Not a, an easy situation for them or anyone to deal with, but they've been doing it quite gracefully. So to kind of look back at the past two weeks, where it seems a bit closer to getting the 737 MAX fleet back in the air, but I guess only only time will tell how long it will take for that software update to be made available for the FAA to certify it. And does that mean that the aircraft can fly again? That's a question that I don't think anyone has been able to satisfactorily answer 
yet. Yeah, is, we we is just the, don't really the know. Software fix what will bring the aircraft back. And at this point, just because Boeing releases a software update and the FAA gives it the okay, doesn't mean every other country in the world or airline is going to take that word at this point. I think the FAA has lost enough credibility during this incident that other airlines are going to be, or other countries rather, are going to be taking their own very close look at this. Yeah, I mean, Canada and and the European Aviation Safety Administration have all said, uh, not all, but both said that they will individually look at their um, Boeing's work and decide whether or not the aircraft will be certified, which is a stark departure from previous, you know, where if the FAA certified something that that was good and that was good enough for for ESA and, and Transport Canada and, and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how and when things come back. China was the first to ground theirs. So what are they going to do? Is the software fix going to be good enough for them or, or are they looking for something else? I mean, that's... And, and is the FAA going to let the plane fly again? Once the software, I mean, we we don't have any indication that the software fix is or is not the thing that will get the fleet back in the air. Yeah, we just don't know at this point. But yeah, at some point, these aircraft are obviously going to have to be, get back in the air. You can't just not have seven thirty sevens anymore. That's ridiculous. So they they will be in the air at some point. The airlines are definitely hoping sooner rather than later. But some airlines have removed them from their schedule completely. Air Canada has removed the max from its schedule through uh, the beginning of July and has made pretty serious schedule modifications. They've retimed flights. They've canceled entire transatlantic routes. Other airlines, like in China, they've removed it from their schedule entirely. So they'll have to, at some point, rework those back in. But there's a lot of work to, do, to be done still. So let's take a moment to talk about some of the effects of the grounding and how that's played out for certain airlines. You mentioned Air Canada with the with some of the, the structural effects on their schedule and retiming flights and, and having to, to move aircraft around. I know uh, Sunwing has, I guess, Eastern Airlines now, 767s operating because they don't have their the MAX aircraft. Chinese Airlines have taken them out. Today, Southwest Airlines came out with their financial results in which we learned that they're canceling how many flights a day is it? Um, well, or Southwest they said they, they, yeah, they're canceling 2,800 flights due to the max in the first quarter, but it's overshadowed by 9,400 total in the first quarter. Southwest already had some pretty serious uh, mechanical and, and other issues it was working through this quarter. We, so the max we, only we alluded to last episode, yeah. but didn't really have enough time to, to get into it. But side note, those problems seem solved as they've reached a tentative deal with their mechanics. So hopefully that leads to, to fewer canceled flights for Southwest. But American has 90 flights a day, I believe, that they yep, canceled. 90 flights canceled for American per day. They also have had a, a small chunk of their NG fleet grounded due to some modification issues that didn't go as uh, planned. Um, they seem to be uh, picking on JFK as they have been recently. So a lot of JFK flights that relied on the 737 have been canceled, but system-wide, they have 90 flights per day. And I don't have specific numbers for other airlines, um, but most are absorbing it 
moderately well. Like I mentioned earlier, Iceland Air simply swapped the 7.3 Max I was booked on to a 7.57 because it, it's still early enough in the year where they're not in their peak summer schedule, so they have some spare aircraft hanging around. But come May, June, July, it, it's going to be a problem if these aircraft are still grounded. Yeah, and, and that gets into another issue of, of we've been dealing with if you if an aircraft sits long enough, they need maintenance to be able to fly again. So Southwest has done something interesting and, and basically moved its entire fleet or attempted to move its entire fleet to Victorville, where they've said, we're, we're going to wait for the software update. We'll keep everything in one spot, keep them parked in the desert and update them all at once and be done with it. And and then we'll fly them out when they're fixed, which I think is an interesting, frankly, smart way to go about it. And other airlines have done, Americans moved a, a very large chunk of their MAX fleet to, to Tulsa, to their maintenance base there, kind of on, along the same lines. And United's got a, a bunch of theirs in Houston. So, I mean, they're they're moving things around to, to kind of consolidate the fleet so they can do everything at once. Yeah, I guess they can run one Ethernet cable or USB cable or whatever. How do you how do you update the avionics system on a seven thirty seven Max? I so actually it's a floppy nope. disk. A floppy disk that checks out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll look into that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I assume actually it's probably like a hard drive thing, like, a, I, like I, an enclosure that you have to bring. Tell you. I couldn't tell you either, but we'll we'll do some research into how the software patch actually gets installed uh, and hopefully have something in the next episode. But that's that's where we are as far as storage and, and things like that. There have been there's been a lot of noise in the past 2 weeks, but trying to distill down what's actually important and and what's perhaps some political posturing because of some of the the issues surrounding questions about certification. That's been I I think one of the things that we've been trying to to sift through to see what are some of the things that we actually need to be concerned about versus who, who's trying to make some noise? And I think that as we learn more, especially with the Department of Transportation Investigator Generals beginning an inquiry into the certification of the MAX and, and was it handled properly and, and are there things that could be done better, the FAA has already said we're reconfiguring how we certify the airplane. Because yeah, they probably a good idea. They they found deficiencies in their own process, but it'll be interesting to see what the IG has to say about that and, and how future aircraft are are handled. So that is the past two weeks in a very large nutshell. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. Two weeks from now, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about in all things uh, Max, and and if all goes well for for Boeing, we'll be talking about the fleet back in the air. And so I guess we'll we'll take our news one day at a time and and return to it then. Yep. Should we take a uh quick break and then come back and talk about um I don't know, flying to the wrong country? Okay, we should do that. All right. We'll be yeah. back in just a moment. Welcome back, and we are off to Germany, England, Scotland. I don't know. Nobody's let's, quite sure. Let's figure it out. Somebody sent me a BBC News article the other day that said, plane flies to wrong country. And I thought, that 
can't be true. That's probably a diversion in there. Oh, they're making it yeah. too dramatic. No, they they flew to the wrong country. Or, or yeah. They never the, left the country. Yeah. And so there's a flight. It's a British Airways flight number operated by WDL Aviation on a 30-year-old BA um, – Av- yeah, an Avro. And so th- that was just great to start with. And so they're supposed to be flying from London City to Dusseldorf. And the they didn't. Everybody gets on the plane. Pilot says, "Hey, how you doing?" Flight attendants say, "Can we get you something to drink?" They fly for a while, and they land. And the pilot says, "Welcome to Edinburgh." Huh? And everyone's like, <laughs> "You're funny. This pilot's funny." And then it turns out that they were actually in Edinburgh, not in Düsseldorf, and they messed up. Yeah. So apparently <laughs> um, everyone thought they were going to Dusseldorf except the pilots because the flight plan that they had been handed was indeed for Edinburgh. So it wasn't like they knew they were supposed to go to Germany and decided to go elsewhere somewhere along the way, made a wrong turn. They, they The pilots genuinely thought this was a flight to Edinburgh. And unfortunately, that paperwork was wrong, wasn't it? I, I pulled up the flight plan and it was filed correctly to Edinburgh. It was filed incorrectly at all, but the flight plan that was actually filed was filed correctly. So, I mean, the, the pilots didn't do anything. It, it, there's video, and we'll put it in the show notes, that a passenger recorded and the pilot's talking. He says, so so nobody, nobody for Edinburgh? <laughs> no, nope. Nobody. <laughs> I was like, no, we all nope. want to go to Germany. So they refueled and, and refiled a new flight plan and, and sat around for, for a little over an hour and a half and then took off and, and made it to, to Dusseldorf with uh, with some delay. But That's everyone, different. Everyone made it there, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I, I this can't possibly believe be true." I, I've ever heard of something like that happening. I've heard of like pilots landing at the wrong airport, which right. has happened on numerous occasions. But this was different. the pilots landing at the correct airport for the flight plan that had been filed. It was just the wrong airport in the wrong city in the wrong country. Huh? Strange. Very strange. So let's turn our attention back to Iceland. Ooh. And some very quick, quick moving news. And here's the timeline. Indigo Partners cancel negotiation with Wow Air. Wow Air starts discussion with Iceland Air Group. That was March 21st. March 24th, discussions between Wow Air and Iceland Air Group canceled. March 24th, again, Wow Air bondholders in advanced discussions. March 26th, yesterday, Wow Air bondholders approved to convert their bonds to equity. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, this saga has been going on for a couple months now. Wow is is kind of ran out of money and, you know, that happens from time to time. So, it's had a bunch of aircraft repossessed. It returned a bunch of others, cut a majority of their routes, most of which didn't make any damn sense. But now they're back to their back to their roots and at some point, I think it was late last year, Iceland Air was given WOW a good look as it you know made sense to eliminate the competition, absorb it all under Iceland Air. And after a little while, they decided, nah, this is a bad idea. This, this, is, this doesn't look good. And then they, Iceland Air withdrew. Then Indigo Partners, which is you know the owners of various airlines such as Frontier in the US, 
came in, said, we'll take a good look. And then soon enough, they said, nah. And then Icelandair immediately came back in, looked at it and said, nah, again. Still nah. <laughs> nah. And now the um, current bo- current uh, people that have money in the airline are converting it to equity. I don't know what they see in the airline, why they think this is going to work. But uh, I, I, I feel I, like at this point, it's a good money after bad situation. I don't know what they're thinking, but all I can say is I know this only hurts the airline, but do not book a Wow Air flight because who knows if it'll be around next week. Yeah. I, I mean, I would be very, very hesitant to, to book a wow air flight. I mean, I, I would book it with you know trip insurance or travel insurance or or something with, I, with a you very might good even credit need card. Specific insurance for this. I've heard even that you need airline insolvency insurance or something. But there's an uh, insurance product for everything. For I tell everything. You. But yeah, you uh, just just don't do it. I know that that only hastens their demise. But so be it. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a business. It's not a charity. So take your business elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of you know sad to sad. It's not kind of sad. It's very sad to see. But hopefully, hopefully, you're wrong. And by getting back to the basics, they can get back into the game. Hopefully, I mean, it, uh, so it's been we'll difficult. Even this week, they they dispatched one of their flights to Montreal, and the damn aircraft was repossessed. So they they sent another one over. Yeah, that that one didn't get repossessed. Uh, no, one in Miami, I believe, got repossessed. They've been running a lot of, uh, I guess, charter or, or any sort of profitable flights they can down to Cuba, and that aircraft has not moved in a while. Yeah, it's uh, not not things aren't looking great, uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, the the little bit of uh, cash infusion and, and getting back to the basics will will help them. Once again, get on their way. But uh, it's been a whirlwind week for them. Moving back to our, I think, third episode in which we discuss Pakistan and its airspace. It's mostly still closed, but has reopened more so than it was two weeks ago. So general, generally, it's closed to transiting traffic. There are a few north-south routes that are continue to be open, but we're almost a month into the airspace being closed to transiting traffic. I mean, which which is incredible to me. Yeah, I I still don't understand why they're doing this. They finally just reopened flights to their own airports, which is just you know kind of ridiculous. I I don't. Maybe someone smarter than us can figure out why in the world they were doing this, but. Um, I, I don't. I just don't understand it. I, I've seen a number of theories, uh, none of which I find satisfactory or supported by more than uh, animosity towards one side of a conflict or the other. I haven't seen a, a general theory which I find satisfactory. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But to say that, I mean, the four hundred flights a day are being affected by this, and and. You know, air, aircraft are having to to route around normally busy airspace to find. And I mean, the the I can only imagine the overflight fees that Oman is is just raking in. Yeah, uh, and with, with the closure I've of Pakistan airspace, keeping my eye on a specific route, uh, Mumbai to Newark, as both Air India and United operate that, and it's quite a long flight, something like fifteen hours. And United has been stopping in Brussels along the way. Air India has been stopping in Dubai, but the last few days, Air India has actually managed to be able to fly the route nonstop. And 
I don't know if that's by um, restricting the payload on board, taking less cargo or fewer passengers, but today they basically went out over the Arabian Sea, cut north over Iran, made some zigzags uh, over Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and now they're over Russia on their way nonstop to Newark rather than stopping in Dubai. So something changed with Air India. I guess they, like I said, they're probably just taking on a lighter load, but they're they're still not flying over Pakistan. And that little bit makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really fascinating to me how how you know it's a few hundred miles or something like that can really make the difference between you know a fifteen hour nonstop flight or a nineteen hour one stop flight. Um, but uh, but good for them for you know figuring out a, a way to make it work. Yeah, it's uh, not ideal in any any stretch of the imagination, but at least they're they're doing it. <laughs> that they are. Some business news. Shall we uh, turn our attention to the to the business of aviation for a moment? Cathay Pacific is in the process of buying Hong Kong Express in a move that I think a lot of people saw coming. And there's been some disagreement about why they're doing it, which I find very interesting. Yeah. I admittedly don't know much about uh, Hong Kong Express, but I guess anytime you're taking out your local competition is good good for you. <laughs> so that was one of the the arguments we made, but but also is the the issue of slots at Hong Kong flight slots, and, and so being able to deal with those, especially prior to the finishing of the third runway at, at Hong Kong International Airport. Right, um, and yeah, so that that's a good move. It sits somewhere below, I guess, their already existing lower cost airline, recently rebranded to Cathay Dragon. Yeah, I'm not sure how that all works, but that's just me. Yeah, but they're taking Hong Kong Express off the hands of, of the Heining Group HNA, who has just been hemorrhaging cash recently. So well, that, I guess that's what happens when you buy airlines, hotels, banks. I think at one point they owned a uh, musical instrument manufacturer. I mean, oh, there, there were sure. all sorts of things that they were just just anything that they could buy. They were buy. It was one of those like spending sprees to end all spending sprees, and then somebody realized that it probably Bad wasn't idea. a good idea. But Hong yeah. Kong Express seemed to actually be one of the um, they're actually profitable. Sectors. So, not last quarter, last year, but it was almost profitable. I think. Hey, um, almost profitable in the airline so, industry is pretty <laughs> that, damn that's, good. That, that's like really profitable in yeah. any other industry. Um, sticking with China, the Chinese have ordered three hundred Airbus aircraft. The order itself, the the announcement of the order, kind of was billed as a, as a new order, but the order had kind of been, I don't know, it's like priced into the market, kind of an, an expected thing to happen, but interesting nonetheless. We are going to have in our next episode a larger conversation. We're going to bring Gavin Orloff back, who is our, our resident numbers guy, who knows much more about aircraft financing, leasing, purchasing, fleets, all that fun stuff than, than Jason and I ever will. And we're going to kind of take a bigger look at a lot of the fleet renewals and changes that have been happening, especially this year, but kind of working our way back into a, a, the tail end of last year to kind of understand about what, what's happening globally with new airplanes and uh, and getting rid of some old airplanes. And we're definitely going to talk about Lufthansa's stated purchase of narrowbody aircraft, where they said quite brilliantly, I thought on their part, we're either going to buy the A320neo or the 737 MAX. 
Oh. And apparently that was news because yeah. it got headlines. It sure did. I think Reuters Aerospace maybe wrote that article or, or, or somebody well, I, I saw it in a bunch of places. And, yeah. and I thought to myself, well, was the C-19, C919 in the running? I mean, like, I don't – Like, this isn't news. Like, yes, they're, they're going to buy one of the two narrowbody aircraft that has 99% of the market. So, If they had cool. come out and said we're going to, we're going to buy, you know – 900 super jets. Ooh, Spaceship 2 would have been good too. Yeah. But you know, then I would have been like, oh, that's that's impressive. But I so we'll talk a, a little bit about is that statement more of a negotiating strategy than I mean, come um, on. We we know what Lufthansa's doing. They already have a, a <laughs> massive A320 family fleet. They already have the Neo in their fleet. So come on. But we'll, we'll talk about that with Gavin a, a lot more next time. And and see what what Lufthansa, but the, also their their wide body orders and and some other things, and and kind of how the the global market's looking. And I'm looking forward to that conversation because every time I talk to them, I learn something that I absolutely did not know before. And and that's one of the things I really like about doing this podcast is when we get to bring people on and and, and learn things ourselves. And hopefully, you find listener will will learn some things as as well. What else should we – oh, all of the BA liveries are done. They're done. All four of the all retro of liveries done. are rolled out and flying. And and I have to say, they did a very nice job. They did. So let's sum it up. We have the Landor livery. We have the Landor, yes. We have the BEA. Yes. We have the BOAC. Yes. And what's the, the fourth Negus. one? That's it. That's the one. Which is your favorite? I've only seen one of them in person and I feel like I, I should see them all in person before I, I really, really um, – Past judgment. So, B, if you want to bring me, you know, in to, to kind of look at all four of them together, that that would be fine. But so far, I think my favorite is the uh, the Landor. Yeah, Landor looks really, really good. I like all of them, and I like some of the kind of stylistic choices they made given the constraints of the aircraft they were working with, like the the BEA. Uh, you don't have the the full red wings, but they they you know kind of gave a, a nod to that. Yeah, but they it, painted the underside of the wing yeah. red. But I really like the BOAC, and I really like the Landor. the The Negus, I, I like, but it's you know it's the it's fourth on my list there. Yeah, so I, I haven't I was, been able to see any of them in person yet. But a, a, a family portrait of all four in the same place at the same time. However, I think, unlikely, I think we're due for that. Yeah, however unlikely that may be, because those aircraft are all over the place all the time. That'd be really cool. It could happen, and it should could. happen. It could. So I, I was thinking about this today, and I think I'm going to try and put together maybe a, a blog post or something. But airlines that have kind of groupings of special liveries, so like you know, BA has their you know their heritage fleet now. American Airlines has their heritage liveries. Iceland, I'll, I'll call Iceland Air's special liveries a kind of a, a grouping, just because all two. Yeah, well, three. Is it three? Uh, it's three, yeah. They, they have the Hekla, the Vatnajökull, and uh, which I just butchered the pronunciation of, but you I tried. Sure did, probably. And they have uh, the um, the independence livery. So there, there's three of them. Ah, right. That's new. ANA has their Star Wars liveries. ANA will soon have their A380 liveries. Their their second A380 was painted. Their first one was delivered this week. So I guess we're on track for May entry into service. So that should be fun. Air New Zealand's All Blacks uh, collection. United's got two retro liveries. Uh, Lufthansa has two retro liveries at this point, I think, still. 
They have the 747 and the A321, and then all of the AirAsia fleet. Don't uh, forget just about uh, JetBlue, probably has like 20 at this point. Yeah, yeah. And that's. It, I was debating whether or not to include JetBlue because it, it's kind of like a frontier situation. <laughs> yeah, they have- Where, uh, where each livery quite, is kind well, of- They also know, have a ton unique. of specials, and also don't forget the, uh, the faux retro- Right, right. There's that, and so it's also like Norwegian. Like, are all of the iconic tail people? Is that a special livery, or is it just eh. be put iconic tail people? Iconic tail people is the name of Jason Mine's new band. That's true. Anyway, uh, so kind of still have its retro. That's thinking about. So, if if you have some favorites, we would love to hear about those. If you've got a, a particular favorite special livery, I know special liveries are a very something Person. people are very passionate about. And yeah, and personal for, for various reasons. I know a lot of people were excited about the the various British Airways liveries because you know they had had family that worked for the airline, or they had worked for the airline, or that's why they got into aviation, or, or any that was their first trip, things like that. So, we'd love to hear what you all find to be a, a great uh, special livery or, or something that you get excited about, podcast at fr24.com and we'll kind of compile some of those into a future post where we can kind of look at some of the groupings and, and maybe turn it into a contest or something. So we'll, we'll see about that. So I think that was all we really had as far as the heritage liveries. But I wanted to come back to ANA for just a quick second to talk about their their A380s. The second one has been been painted, the, the first delivered, and Jason and I are considering rafting from the US over to Hawaii, you know, across the ocean to Hawaii to fly on that. So we'll we'll keep you posted on on that. I'm trying to convince Jason to to row with me. I to Hawaii. actually looked at booking uh, a couple of weeks ago, booking the first one of the first flights out of either Tokyo or Honolulu for ANA's A380, and is completely sold out. Are we surprised? No, the no. Uh, the Japanese are particularly amazing when it comes to uh, av geeking and plane spotting. So that flight is unsurprisingly completely sold out. But there will there will be more uh, more options, and I would love to see a family photo of all three of those A380s when they're finally finally together. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen soon. We we did see a a, a photo today of the the first two uh, Beluga XLs together, so that'll be fun to see when when they have the full the full complement built and and finally flying. Still find that plane creepy looking. Well, the the second one doesn't have the the weird. Staring eyeball. Yeah, like it, it, I still don't understand like how they designed Wait, that. Yes, like, it does. Does it? Yep. Oh, yep. Sorry, they both I have saw, it. I saw it head on, and I got excited because I didn't see it. But yeah, okay. the new one has okay. it too. It's yeah, just like, as creepy looking. <laughs> this new plane is just as creepy as the old plane. Yep. Oh well. Number two's got it. Actually, number two's. Got the number two on its forehead. Number one doesn't. That's odd. That's because it's number one. Uh, I guess so. Doesn't need a number two. How do you know it's number one? Well, it doesn't say number two. There you go. See? Problem solved. Excellent. (laughs) Adding this to the reasons why we don't run an airline. (laughs) Solving logistical problems. Yes. There you go. So one of the things that we talked about in a previous episode was the Commute Air ERJ-145 what we at the time believed to be a runway excursion, but what we now know to be a excursion, they didn't land on the runway. 
They landed to the right of the right. So yep. this all came about because the NTSB issued some findings and also there were some aerial photos taken after the incident that clearly showed the aircraft at no point touched the runway. And so the aircraft was to the right of the runway. It was just uh, excursion, wasn't they're, it? They're still trying to figure out why that has occurred. But for those who, who don't remember, this was the ERJ-145 that landed in uh, uh, Presque Isle. And the left main landing gear detached from the aircraft and became lodged in between the left engine and the fuselage. Yeah. Again, that, that's uh, not where so the yeah. landing gear belongs no i mean jason and i are are not we're not uh pilots we're not amp mechanics however we know at least that yes much. yeah that explains a lot that they they missed the runway entirely which is brings many questions up yeah so certainly the ntsb is looking into that to figure out why they were so misaligned and missed the runway completely and we'll keep an eye on that one uh if only for the the sheer oddity of this situation, how it devolved from a simple runway excursion to that landing gear wasn't supposed to be there to no, in fact, they just landed completely off the runway. Yeah, surprisingly, uh, I guess, little damage considering they didn't land on a runway. Yeah, no, it's uh, and in quite the depth of snow. That will be a very interesting report to read when it eventually comes out. So as always, lots to, to keep up with over the next couple of weeks, but it'll be, I'm sure, not a quiet two weeks as we see um, changes in the, the condition of the 737 MAX fleet or not, and, and that'll be a story in and of itself. But that's where we are two weeks on. This yep. has been episode 54 of AvTalk. And I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.